Welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist, the podcast for anyone who's interested in acupuncture, complementary medicine, holistic health, and self-care. I'm your host, Alexa Bradley-Halsey. On today's episode, I am joined by acupuncturist Andy Wegman. Andy has been practicing acupuncture for over 20 years, and for most of that time, he has focused on creating and maintaining access to acupuncture for modest wage earners. He practices in Southern New Hampshire and is the founder of Manchester Acupuncture Studio. Andy is a longtime leader in the community acupuncture movement here in the U.S. and is one of the people I looked to for guidance when I was starting up my own clinic. And I am proud to call him a colleague and a friend. Andy, welcome. Oh, pleasure to be here. What an intro. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That's very sweet. <laughs> well, I'm eager to dive into our topic today, which is this idea of collaboration between practitioners and patients. But first, why don't you just give us a brief history of Manchester Acupuncture Studio and why you chose to practice community acupuncture? I mean, in some ways, it's not very complicated. Um so I was one of those real lucky fellows out of acupuncture school who got offered a job right out of school. And it was a job, it was a good job. It was up in Manchester, New Hampshire, which I had to find on a map when I got offered the job. I was a Cam <laughs> Cambridge Mass resident. This was like slightly pre-internet. So I had to pull out the old Rand McNally and wow. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, I ended up working for a physiatrist, a doctor of physical rehab and, and uh, pain management for six years. Uh, and it was a great first gig, um, really allowed me to get my kind of clinical feet settled and kind of learn what the heck I was doing. Um, but it wasn't very long before I realized that a lot of the folks who came to get acupuncture weren't able to come in very often. Uh, the going rate at that point in the office was 60 a visit. This was in like early 2000s. It, I always ran into, yeah, I know you're, you're, you're nodding your head as well. Like, yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's what most of us who have a sort of fundamental issue with like cost and access. Yes. So, you know, when you go to acupuncture school, you read about these, uh, case studies where folks, especially in the East, they're, they're getting acupuncture every day for 10 days, every day for 15 days, and then a few days off. And it just ran in such contrast to my experience of treating someone every other week or once a month, at most once a week. So when our friends out in Portland, Oregon, started to talk about what they were doing, it just made a ton of sense. And that was kind of that. Which is like, oh, you could do this. You know, you can treat a lot of people at once. Like, yeah, let's do it. It sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the short history. We opened in 2007 and in 2013 opened a second shop. And, you know, we've had some great longtime employees. And well, I think your story is similar to so many of us who practice in this way. It's just bumping up against the reality of not of patients not being able to access the care that they need and uh, price being a huge barrier. And, and as a result of that, like, I realize this is internal pressure, though, from talking with a lot of a lot of us over the years, I realized I wasn't alone. And like, 
there's this sense that you have to perform a miracle when you're working with someone because you're only going to see them once every couple weeks at most. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard. It's just the whole thing felt really weird. It's just this like square peg in a round hole. So that gets into this topic or this idea of collaboration. That is one way that our patients collaborate with us, of course, is financially, whether a clinic is a profit or a nonprofit. What are other ways that you see patients participating in the community that you're building as a clinic? Because each clinic I think of is as its own community. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> How do you see patients contributing to that community? It's in some really obvious sort of mundane ways and all the way up to like becoming colleagues in the clinic, like working together, you know, either as part of the board of directors, um, which is a volunteer position for us to like, hey, you want to come work our front desk a couple days a week? You're great. I think, you know, you understand what this place is about. Come work with us. We need somebody. I, I, so I made a list. Great. I, this was big for me. <laughs> making a list so anyways yeah everything like I, I came up with some really mundane things right uh people bring their own blank we ask people to bring their own blankets so do we she we ask people to bring sheets and blankets oh do you that's yes. interesting i know carrie and um in connecticut does the same good for you that's good yeah um yeah so like that's pretty banal stuff but uh, you know, it, it's it's practically very important. Um, when, when the pandemic hit, here's another sort of boring one or a small one, but it makes a big difference. We, we put out cleaning wipes, Clorox wipes by the bathroom with a sign asking people to grab wipes, wipe down what you think you're going to use and wipe down what you do use. And we've never really gone back from that at this point. So people help us clean, help us keep the bathrooms clean, right? Like, again, small stuff, you know, maybe a yes. little bit of like too much of how the sausage is made, I suppose, but, <laughs> it, but important nonetheless, you know, makes our lives easier cleaning bathrooms every day as we do. Yes. Right? Certainly for, for um, Encircle and MAS, people choose what fees they want to pay on the sliding scale. Yeah, it's kind of yes. foundational for our for our shops. And that's that's not small stuff to kind of right. understand that piece. And as you know, it can be a bit confusing for some folks. And well, why do you do this? And just tell me what to pay. Right. right. For us, when we meet folks, we do a sit down, like an intake, and we will make a recommendation for how we think they're wise to start to use acupuncture in order to make a dent in what's going on with them with some speed. But ultimately in verbally, we encourage folks all the time to trust their own sense of what, like once they realize that this is helpful for them and it's proving to be a useful tool, like trust your sense for how to use this yourself and, and come and take this as you see fit. I, that's so interesting because we delivered that same message. I don't, I don't, quite use that wording. I think I usually say something like, you'll figure out what's best, feels best for you. Sure. But it's, it's delivering this message that acupuncture is a tool for you to use however you see fit. 
I'm going to give you a recommendation based on my experience and based on what you're telling me. Here's what I think will happen if you come in two times a week, three times a week, whatever. But this is not a requirement and you're going to still benefit from it. And maybe you as a patient are wanting something different than what I as a practitioner see as how acupuncture could benefit you. I think this um, this idea of is, is helping patients understand that they are in charge of their treatment plan and yeah. that they get to decide how to use this, how often to come in, what you pay, uh, what to pay, as you say. People are, are not used to having a lot of choice in healthcare. And in those, in those subtle ways, we can show people that they do have choices and, and that they can be, be, be a participant just simply by deciding when you want to come in. Yeah. And I think most, most folks who are, especially folks who are there for a specific issue, my sleep's terrible, my back went out, my shoulders trashed, whatever the case may be. You know, folks are usually, they're used to being told, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to PT. Here's a referral, blah, blah, blah. So I do feel like that those pieces that you described so well are, they're important. Frankly, it seems a little corny to talk about it. And it, sometimes for me, it feels a little corny, but it's, but it's actually really foundational. And I know there's folks who really appreciate that piece. And I know because they've been coming to the clinic for on and off and sometimes just on for 15 years. Yes. Um, and they come for all sorts of reasons and they know they can take it when they need it. That's the crux of it. Yeah. Like so, we provide a service, you come and take it as you see fit. When you say the foundational piece, that is really handing that control to the patient and then they choose how to use this, how to participate. And then, and we create the space for that. And we're there to, we're there to give our two cents. Sure. Yeah. Which a lot of people want and need. So I went to acupuncture school in Massachusetts. Um, the New England School of Acupuncture used to be just outside of Boston. And through the grapevine as students, you hear about like local practitioners, right? Yes. Who I, oh, I didn't hear about that person. Oh, well, yeah. You know, he was taught by his dad and they've been around for two generations, right? So one of those just amazing practitioners is this man, BJ Wong, in uh, a borough of Boston, a neighborhood of Boston. And he runs a walk-in clinic. And that was probably the first Chinese medical, big herb clinic as well. That was the first Chinese medical walk-in clinic that I had ever come across. I had never had acupuncture until my third year of acupuncture school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It was a trip too. It was great. It was a great. Yeah, isn't treatment. it great? <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um. So anyway, I, I guess I bring up BJ's clinic, Ishan Tang, and I believe it's still around. And BJ and his sister run the place. But I remember being somewhat intrigued and also a little put off by the lack of handholding as a patient there. It wasn't like, all right, son, come here. I want to see you twice a week for whatever, two months. 
it wasn't like that. It was kind of like you're on your own. Mm. Uh, here's the herbs. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Do you follow what I mean? Oh, yes. I know exactly and, what you mean. Yeah, which is okay because yes. it's up to you to follow up. Yes. And that was my first exposure to like that sort of autonomy as a patient. And it wasn't always like, to be frank, there were times where I felt like, yeah, I wish I got dragged in there a little more like mm-hmm. b- by direction. Yeah. Yes. And so that's the line I feel like, at least at MAS, we walk, you know, between leaving someone like giving good information and just leaving it on their lap. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, all the different ways that we encourage folks, hold a mirror up to them when things are unclear, uh, holding a mirror up like, well, you know, here's what you told me was going on. Here's where you were when you started. So this gets gets into another question then is this, so this foundational piece of patient autonomy and as practitioners sort of walking that line between giving them good information, but also letting them be self-directed in their care and how they're accessing care and how they're using it. So then how does that square with cultural ideas of what we have, of what a practitioner or a provider or a medical professional should be? Sure. How compliant do you want your patients to be? (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's something right? we hear a lot about it in acupuncture school. To me, the com- the, the idea of compliance is, I, I'm allergic to that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that that needs to stay by the door as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I actually, I hadn't thought about that term in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it just physically gives me problems here yes. as I'm <laughs> sitting with it. Like, ah, God, it just feels so gross. But But on the <laughs> other hand, right. You want to make sure that folks are getting good information mm-hmm. so that they have, you would hope, a, a, some sort of understanding of like, well, what's what's the least you need to do in order to give yourself a chance to find use out of this stuff? Right. Stuff being the acupuncture, right? Right. Because you don't want to sell yourself short. You don't want to sell them short. Right. I think patients need to have realistic expectations of what acupuncture can and can't do and how it's best, how they will best be served by it. Sure. But you can, you know, this, you can provide that information. It's not always absorbed. True. There's a big aspect of surrender getting acupuncture, right? Huge. So one of the big pieces of in collaborating together is like trusting us to throw needles at them. We ask a lot of our patients too, you know, from something as simple as bringing a blanket or mm-hmm. wiping the door handle after you've used the bathroom. Our clinics also rely on our patients to do a lot of our marketing for us. Yes. And um, we, we need our patients to to help us be known in the community to tell their friends and family about us and there are there are so many ways that patients can do that and so it just makes me think that this idea of collaboration involves a lot of trust on both ends that for patients to participate and collaborate it doesn't have to be burdensome for them also so a patient can serve on the board of MAS if they if they're moved to do so and if they want to, or they can work 
a shift at the front desk. But that's not the only way to participate. And even for patients who don't bring a blanket, um, they can still participate in other ways and collaborate and help build this community and help make it a public good that they and others can continue to access for a long time. And the way that they'll continue to access is to come sit in a chair and get treated. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that's the m- ultimate form of participation is to come yeah. sit in a chair and get treated. Absolutely. Which, of course, is not unique to our particular organizations, but that's that's the bottom line. Like mm-hmm. we it's a high, high volume, relatively low cost endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in order for that to continue on. Right. Actually, I'm glad you, you picked up on the piece of like making recommendations uh, to friends and family, you know, doing our advertising for us. So I, I think for most of the clinics who I've spoken to over the years, that's our main form of advertising. So like doing our marketing with us on behalf of us is that's, that's a big theoretical financial chunk for us, right. To not have to spend money on Google ads and all that kind of piece. Sure. And, and I would, I would just add that over the years, I find at least the folks who I talk to about it, they're really happy to do so. Very happy to do so. Yes. I find that too. And I, as I was thinking about this conversation that today, I I was thinking about how do we tell our patients what we need and ask for what we need, ask for their help in a way that isn't burdensome? Because people most people are coming to us for some kind of relief. They have migraines or insomnia, and they are coming to be helped for something. Sure. So how do we invite their participation without it feeling transactional? Right. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's a, it's a tough one. That's a great question. I tend to be hypersensitive about that, maybe to a fault in terms of like the language we put out there. You know, again, as a nonprofit, many would go and do these big fundraisers and, you know, we're a fee for profit, fee for service nonprofit. So it's not like we rely on fundraising exclusively as an example, but I know I'm not alone when I say that I'm very wary of giving the impression that whatever people are paying for their treatments on, on the sliding scale, it's enough. Yes. And anything on top of that is just like, it characterizes their care for the place, not that they're not doing enough already. Yeah. And I realize a lot of us feel that way. Yeah. Yes. And that gets um, back to what you were saying about just come showing up and sitting in a chair is what we ask of you. I mean, that's, that is what we ask of you. And anything beyond that is, is welcome and not at all uh, necessary. And it, Totally. I mean, the expectation is you're looking for something to ease your suffering and we have a tool that may likely be somewhat useful for you or really damn useful, but that's it. And and I would say most of the folks, that's where the collaboration ends. Yes. You know, you, you hear what we have to say, we'll give you our best guess for how to use this. You come check it out and see if it's useful. Small percentage of folks will, will throw a review up right? Mm-hmm. Google or Yelp or something. And like an even smaller amount of folks, number of folks will choose to donate, ask how they can help, mm-hmm. you know, on and on and on. 
Um, but all of that is, that's fine. Yes. Like, I think the collaboration, it's okay for us. Our, our businesses are set up in a way so that it's perfectly okay just to come in and get treated and thank God you do. Yeah. And it makes me think too that for patients, they can see themselves as participants and collaborators just by virtue of coming to the clinic. Like that is collaboration already. That is participation. Sure. Um, Especially in a crowd. Yes. Right? Like a group of people doing the same, like it's built in. Oh, we're all here together. Yes. Even if you're trying to ignore half the people there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to create your own little bubble. Like right. That, that goes without saying, but like, yeah everyone's working together whether you like it or not and i think that's the beauty of a community acupuncture clinic too because it, going back to some of those subtle ways that we do ask for participation such as cleaning the door handle and bringing a blanket and even just being treated in a room with other people i think those send the message that you are uh, you are you are a participant in a group of experience in a community of people who are doing the same thing and your actions affect that affect the other people who come here just by simply bringing a blanket that means less laundry for our staff to do and by showing up on time that means that the next patient after you will get started on time and the practitioner won't be running late and by not yeah. canceling at the last minute you're not taking an slot away from someone else absolutely um and i and i think like w w i would just add to that alexa like you're you're it's funny to hear it's not funny it's expected to hear you your your perspective is from behind the curtain mm -hmm. right as a as a worker at encircle and all of that makes perfect sense and and yet most people probably aren't aware of all of those things right yeah so I think like collaboration happens even if you, mm -hmm. in ways, even if you don't realize you're collaborating. That's true. It's Trojan yeah. horse collaborating. Ah, that's great. <laughs> I love that. But I think people sense it, even if they don't, they're not cognitively aware of like, oh, okay, by bringing my blanket, I'm doing this. But I think they sense it on some level, especially yeah. because they're yeah, there with other people. Yeah. There's, there's a sense of like, mm, I don't know, maybe this is a little rude to say, but I think there's a sense of self-importance that can melt away in a group and you realize like, well, I see this person running around working with, you know, whatever, six, eight, 10 people in this room. Like I'm not the only show in town here that that serves a purpose for, for some folks. Yeah. I think it also um, serves to remind people that suffering is a universal human experience that we all suffer in some ways and um, it can cut on the loneliness that comes along with being in pain or having chronic health problems. When, when you're in a group setting, you don't feel as alone. I'm, I'm thinking of a few folks, probably a, a good number who have never had an experience outside of group treatment. Yes. I've had conversations with folks over the years, like, have you ever had private room acupuncture? Now is the only place I've come to. And, you know, comments on that topic can range anywhere from, oh, well, I couldn't afford that anyway, um, to, well, why would I want to do that? This is perfectly great, right? 
to to also oh yeah i go to a private room place down the road and i come here too you know which is great that's awesome whatever 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 works for you what are some examples of how you've seen this done successfully outside of community acupuncture clinic um a real famous example uh british band radiohead maybe 10 or so years ago were the first to do a uh, sort of pay what you want uh, platform for their new new record. Um, very commonly, artists will fundraise for their next record, or ask folks w if they can crash on their couch during a small tour. And I think I think a lot of people who are uh, who are artists and uh, creators and they there's so there's just so many avenues now to get your work out there and to get paid for it directly from the people who are consuming it you know people are self-publishing books on amazon people are creating um listener supported podcasts that are funded entirely on patreon that don't have advertising and so I, I just think it's really interesting to see how people are getting their work directly to an audience, to the customer, to consumers, you know, whatever you want to call that. You know, artists are doing that more and more. And I think it's, it's really exactly what community acupuncture clinics have been doing for years. And we are taking payment directly from the people who are using the service rather than relying on an intermediary such as a, an insurance company. And it's just such a simpler way to do it. Absolutely. And, and there's, I would imagine on the, on the, on, on the, well, I, I, I have had the experience on the fan side or the supporter side yes. to feel really invested in what goes on. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, sure. Cause yes. like it's a natural part of taking direct control of like, or, or contributing a piece of like what makes that engine continue to move for the artist or the creator. Um, and I know patients feel the same at our shops, but I, I, you know, I contribute to um, podcasters on Patreon and I get really excited when I see them being successful and growing their audience and they invite a lot of participation from their audience. So that's just one example. And I, I think you've probably had this experience too of, of the people who we're serving, our patients, being very excited about our success and wanting to support us. We opened a second clinic back in 2019. You've had that experience too. Uh, people... I, I work at our at our primary clinic um, solely. I don't work at the second clinic, but every week patients ask me about the second clinic. How's it doing? Are they busy out there? They care, and because they they really are invested in the place too. And sometimes they're more excited about that stuff than we are. That's true. <laughs> Especially during a rough week. Like, oh, right. Thank, thank God you've got some juice for that. Uh. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's that's a great example. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think like in some ways it's it's sort of interesting to take a step back now that we're talking about this. I, I mean, our clinics might not have existed, probably not if not for the internet, right? Right. Sharing right. information freely. 
Um, in a lot of the ways, you know, a, a lot of the avenues for this collaboration to happen between folks, it's like, if it weren't for the internet, man, that'd be really tough. Like, yeah, it mm-hmm. probably wouldn't happen. So I guess in some way, like, right. it's interesting to think about that. Just like, that's the sort of invisible hand that's made this possible for a lot of us and opened up other other options. Because the internet is the ultimate tool for collaboration and participation. So hence, we're sitting here, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to take that for granted, especially, I mean, I think we're probably of the age where we remember what it was like beforehand, and it's just yes. really different. And it's easy yes. to take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for the internet. I know. Thank you, internet. <laughs> All of this just makes me think that sustaining something that you love requires some level of participation and it could be sustaining an artist that you love a relationship that's important to you a place or a business that you enjoy frequenting we can't just assume that those entities and spaces are all going to be there and we have to think of ourselves as stewards participants, collaborators, whatever word you want to use. We're not, we're not passive consumers. If it's, if we want to contribute to the sustainability of something that we love. And then I would flip that the other way as well. I struggle personally with being unimaginative in some ways as the, as the manager of our organization and thinking of ways how people can offer their contribution financially or Mm. usually otherwise. Yeah. As Mm -hmm. opposed to, well, this place is going to be here forever. I'm going to be here forever. Uh, I guess I'd better get down and start scrubbing the floor and nailing the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's always an opportunity to like the, I guess I imagine there's always an opportunity to to collaborate. There's always an opportunity to welcome someone else's perspective and help and expertise. Again, speaking for myself, it's the challenge of like creating that space to allow that to happen. Yeah. I realize I'm sort of turning this around a little bit. But... No, but it's it's a good way to look at it because we're all creators of something in some way, whether it's a business or a work of art or a point of view a big point of view exactly yeah. exactly yeah. yeah sort of allowing that to happen and welcoming it and yes like sort of watering those seeds so that that can happen inviting yeah. inviting the participation from others yeah totally yeah, yeah that's not easy easier for some than others i see i see folks i see you do this in beautiful very uh when i say elegant meaning like just like very welcoming in ways I see other folks doing this and like I, I take a lot of inspiration and education from like, oh, yeah, you could do that. You can mm-hmm. invite this. Yeah, that's yeah. always that's always super important because I'm not I'm not someone who comes up with a ton of ideas. But when I hear a good one, I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And then you run with it. Thanks, Alexa. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. This has been such a great conversation. So to those folks who are listening, if you want to keep up with Andy's work at Manchester Acupuncture Studio, you can find Andy and his team at M-A-S-N-H 
org, or on Facebook at Manch, M-A-N-C-H, ACU, A-C-U. Andy has also written a book called Why Did You Put That Needle There? Which we have sold many copies of that book at my clinic. Um, so you can buy a physical copy of the book or you can download it for free in English and Spanish at the MAS website. And you also have an audio version, right? You can hear me yammer on. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to have to get the audio version. Uh, I will put links to all of this in our show notes so that you can download Andy's book and keep up with the great work that they're doing in New Hampshire. Andy, my friend, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. And thank you all for listening today. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a rating or a review. And if you want to join the conversation, please subscribe to Notes from Your Acupuncturist on Substack, where you can comment, ask questions, participate in discussion threads, watch videos, and read more of my reflections on acupuncture, acceptance, healing, and self-love. Until next time, this is Alexa Bradley-Holsey, your acupuncturist, signing off with love and gratitude.